0: Hi, everybody. Carla here, welcoming you back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to remind you before I get started with today's reading that August 26th will mark the two year anniversary of Carla Reads the Classics. And I so hope that you will help me celebrate by making a contribution to support the podcast, by leaving your comments that I can post on Spotify, going over to the YouTube channel, making your comments there. Uh, making suggestions on what you'd like to hear in future. Um, anything you can do to interact with the podcast or with the YouTube channel would be fantastic. And you will find ways in which you can contribute to the podcast here in the episode details. Now, let's get on with today's reading. I have for you today, a work by Catherine Patterson, and it is called Bridge to Terabithia. And you'll probably remember this from your young adulthood, high school years. I'm not quite sure which, but it'll probably take you back. And if this is your first time experiencing experiencing this work, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a really, really good story. It's actually based on a true story. The author, uh, her son, David, lost his very best friend, a young girl by the name of Lisa, when David and Lisa were both very, very young. And Catherine Patterson really struggled to try to help David make sense of this loss because it was such a senseless loss that she subsequently wrote this book to help him with his grief and to try to help him better process his grief. uh, Because, you know, it's such a horrible thing for a young person to have to experience. But anyway, wonderful mother that she was, she tried to help him understand these things better through literature. And I think that is amazing. So the name of this work is called Bridge to Terabithia. And it is amazing. So I thank you so much for tuning in today. And without further delay, I give you Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. Please stay tuned. Bridged to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. Part 1. Jesse Oliver Aarons, Jr. Boom, boom, boom. Brippity, 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 brippity. Good. His dad had the pickup going. He could get up now. Jess slid out of bed and into his overalls. He didn't worry about a shirt because once he began running, he could be as hot as popping grease, even if the morning air was chill, or shoes because the bottom of his feet were by now as tough as his worn-out sneakers. Where you going, Jess? Maybelle lifted herself up sleepily from the double bed where she and Joyzanne slept. Shh, he warned. The walls were thin. Mama would be mad as flies in a fruit jar if they work her up this time of day. He patted Maybelle's hair and yanked the twisted sheet up to her small chin. Just over the cow field, he whispered. Maybelle smiled and snuggled down under the sheet. Gonna run? Maybe. Of course he was going to run. He had gotten up early every day all summer to run. He figured if he worked at it, and Lord, had he worked, he could be the fastest runner in the fifth grade when school opened up. He had to be the fastest, not one of the fastest or next to the fastest, but the fastest, the very best. He tiptoed out of the house. The place was so radly that it screeched whenever you put your foot down, but Jess had found that if you tiptoed, it only gave a low moan, and he could usually get outdoors without waking Mama or Ellie or Brenda or Joyce Ann. Maybelle was another matter. She was going on seven, and she worshiped him, which was okay sometimes. When you were the only boy smashed between four sisters, and the older two had despised you ever since you stopped letting them dress you up and wheel you around in their rusty old doll carriage, and the littlest one cried if you looked at her cross-eyed, it was nice to have somebody who worshipped you, even if it got unhandy sometimes. He began to trot across the yard. His breath was coming out in little puffs, cold for August, but it was early yet. By noontime, when his mom would have him out working, it would be hot enough. Miss Bessie stared at him sleepily as he climbed across the scrap heap over the fence and into the cow field. Moo! she said, looking for all the world like another Maybelle with her big brown, droopy eyes. Hey, Miss Bessie, Jess said soothingly. Just go on back to sleep. Miss Bessie strolled over to the greenish patch, most of the field was brown and dry, and yanked up a mouthful. That's a girl just eat your breakfast. Don't pay me no mind. He always started at the north northwest corner of the field, crouched over like the runners he had seen on wild world of sports. Bang, he said, and took off flying around the cow field. Miss Bessie strolled toward the center, still following him with her droopy eyes, chewing slowly. She didn't look very smart, even for a cow, but she was plenty bright enough to get out of Jess's way. His straw-colored hair flapped hard against his forehead, and his arms and legs flew out every which way. He had never learned to run properly, but he was long-legged for a 10-year-old, and no one had more grit than he. Lark Creek Elementary was short on everything, especially athletic equipment, so all the balls went to the upper grades at recess time after lunch. Even if a fifth grader started out the period with a ball, it was sure to be in the hands of a 6th or 7th grader before the hour was half over. The older boys always took the dry center of the upper field for their ball games, while the girls claimed the small top section for hopscotch and jump rope and hanging around talking. So the lower grade boys had started this running thing. They would all line up on the far side of the lower field where it was either muddy or deep or with deep, crusty ruts. Earl Watson, who was no good at running but had a big mouth, would yell, BANG! And they'd race to a line they towed across at the other end. One time last year, Jesse had won, not just the first heat, but the whole shebang, only once. But it had put into his mouth a taste for winning. Ever since he'd been in first grade, he'd been that crazy little kid that draws all the time. But one day, April the 22nd, a drizzly Monday, it had been he ran ahead of them all, the red mud slooching up through the holes in the bottom of his sneakers. For the rest of that day and until after lunch on the next, he had been the fastest kid in the third, fourth, and fifth grades, and he only a fourth grader. On Tuesday, Wayne Pettis had won again, as usual, but this year Wayne Pettis would be in the sixth grade. He'd play football until Christmas and baseball until June with the rest of the big guys. Anybody had a chance to be the fastest runner. And by Miss Bessie, this year, it was going to be Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr. Just pumped his arms harder and bent his head for the distant fence. He could hear the third grade, great boys screaming him on. They would follow him around like a country music star. And Maybelle would pop her buttons. Her brother was the fastest, the best. That ought to give the rest of the first grade something to chew their cuds on. Even his dad would be proud. Jess rounded the corner. He couldn't keep going quite so fast, but he continued running for a while. It would build him up. Maybelle would tell daddy, so it wouldn't look as though he just was a bragger. Maybe dad would be so proud he'd forget all about how tired he was from the long drive back and forth to Washington and, and the digging and hauling all day. He would get right down on the floor and wrestle the way they used to. Old dad would be surprised at how strong he'd gotten in the last couple of years. His body was begging him to quit, but Jess pushed it on. He had to let the puny chest of his know who was boss. Jess, it was Maybelle yelling from the other side of the scrap heap. Mama says you got to come in and eat now. Leave the milking till later. Oh, crud. He'd run too long. Now everyone would know he'd been out and start in on him. Yeah, okay. He turned, still running, and headed for the scrap heap. Without breaking his rhythm, he climbed over the fence, scrambled across the scrap heap, thumped Maybell on the head, ow, and trotted on to the house. Well, look at the big old Olympic star," said Ellie, banging two cups onto the table so that the strong black coffee slushed out, sweating like a knock-kneed mule. Jess pushed his damp hair out of his face and plunked down at the wooden bench. He dumped two spoonfuls of sugar into his cup and slurped to keep the hot coffee from scalding his mouth. Ooh, Mama, he stinks. Brenda pinched her nose with her pinky, cricket delicately. Make him wash. Get over here to the sink and wash yourself, his mother said without raising her eyes from the stove. And step on it. These grits are scorching the bottom of the pot already. Mama, not again, Brenda whined. Lord, he was tired. There wasn't a muscle in his body that didn't ache. You heard what Mama said, Ellie yelled at his back. I can't stand it, Mama, Brenda again. Make him get his smelly self off this bench. Jess put his cheek down on the bare wood of the tabletop. Jessie his mother was looking now, and put on a shirt. Yes, am he dragged himself to the sink. The water he flipped on his face and up and down his arms pricked like ice. His skin crawled under the cold drops. Maybelle was standing in the kitchen door watching him. Give me a shirt, Maybelle. She looked as if her mouth was set to say no, but instead she said, You should not have beat me in the head and went off obediently to fetch his T-shirt. Good old Maybelle. Joanne would have been screaming yet from from that little tap. Four-year-olds were a pure pain. I got plenty of chores needs doing around here this morning, his mother announced as they were finishing the grits and red gravy. His mother was from Georgia and still cooked like it. Oh, Mama! Ellie and Brenda squawked in concert. These girls could get out of work faster than grasshoppers could slip through your fingers. Mama, you promised me and Brenda we could go to Millsburg for school shopping. You ain't got no money for school shopping. Mama, we're just going to look around. Lord, he wished Brenda would stop whining so. Christmas, you want us to to have no fun at all? Any fun? Ellie corrected her primly. Oh, shut up. Ellie ignored her. Miss Timmons is coming to, to pick us up. I told Lolly Sunday you said it was okay. I feel dumb calling her and saying you changed your mind. Oh, all right, but I ain't got no money to give you. Any money? Something whispered inside Jess's head. I know, Mama. We just take the five dollars Daddy promised us. No more than that. What five dollars? Oh, Mama, you remember. Ellie's voice was sweeter than a melted Mars bar. Daddy said last week we girls were going to have to have something for school. Oh, take it, his mother said angrily, reaching for her cracked vinyl purse on the shelf above the stove. She counted out five wrinkled bills. Mama, Brenda was starting again. Can't we have just one more so it'll be 3 each? No. Mama, you can't buy anything for 2.50. Just one little pack of notebook papers gone up to. No. Ellie got up noisily and began to clear the table. Your turn to wash, Brenda, she said loudly. Aw, Ellie, Ellie jabbed her with her spoon. Jesse saw that look. Brenda shut up her wine halfway out of her rose-lustered lipstick mouth. She wasn't as smart as Ellie, but even she knew not to push Mama too far. Which left Jess to do the work as usual. Mama never sent the babies out to help, although if he worked it although if he worked it right, he could usually get Maybelle to do something. He put his head down on the table. The running had done him in this morning. Through his top ear came the sound of the Timmins' old Buick. Once oil. His dad would say, and the happy buzz of voices outside the screen door as Ellie and Brenda squashed in among the seven Timminses. All right, Jesse, get your lazy self off that bench. Miss Bessie's bag is probably dragging ground by now, and you still got beans to pick. Lazy. He was the lazy one? He gave his poor dead he gave his poor dead weight of a head one minute more on the tabletop. Jessie? Okay, mama, I'm going. It was Maybelle who came to tell him in the bean patch that people were moving into the old Perkins place down on the farm next. Jess wiped his hair out of his eyes and squinted. Sure enough, a U-Haul was parked right by the door, one of those big jointed ones. These people had a lot of junk, but they wouldn't last. The Perkins place was one of those ratty old country houses you moved into because you had no decent place to go and moved out of as quickly as you could. He thought later how peculiar it was that here was probably the biggest thing in his life and he had shrugged it off as nothing. The flies were buzzing around his sweating face and shoulders. He dropped the beans into the bucket and swatted with both hands. Give me my shirt, Maybelle. The flies were more important than any U-Haul. Maybelle jogged to the end of the row and picked up his T-shirt from where it had been discarded earlier. She walked back, holding it with two fingers out in front out in front of her oh it stinks she said just as brenda would have shut up he said and grabbed the shirt away from her part two leslie burke ellie and brenda weren't back by seven jess had finished all the picking and helped his mother can the beans she never canned except when it was scalding hot anyhow and all the boiling turned the kitchen into some kind of hellhole. Of course, her temper had been terrible, and she had screamed at Jess all afternoon and was now too tired to fix any supper. Jess made peanut butter sandwiches for the little girls and himself, and because the kitchen was still hot and almost nauseatingly full of be- full of bean smell, the three of them went outside to eat. The U-Haul was still out by the Perkins place. He couldn't see anybody moving outside, so they must have finished unloading. I hope they have a girl, six or seven, said maybelle I need somebody to play with. You got Joyce Ann. I hate Joyce Ann. She's nothing but a baby. Joyce Ann's lip went out. They both watched it tremble. Then her pudgy body shuddered and she let out a great cry. Who's teasing the baby? His mother yelled out the screen door. Jess sighed and poked poked the last of his sandwich into Joyce Ann's open mouth. Her eyes went wide and she clamped her jaws down on the unexpected gift now maybe he can have some peace. He closed the screen door gently as he entered and slipped past his mother, who was rocking herself in the kitchen chair watching TV. In the room he shared with the little ones, he dug he dug under his mattress and pulled out his pad and pencils. Then, stomach down on the bed, he began to draw. Jess drew the way some people drink whiskey, The piece would start at the top of his muddled brain and seep down through his tired and tensed up body. Lord, he loved to draw. Animals mostly, not regular animals like Miss Bessie or the chickens, but crazy animals with problems. For some reason, he liked to put his beast into impossible fixes. This one was a hippopotamus just leaving the edge of the cliff, turning over and over, You could tell by the curving lines and the air toward the sea below where surprised fish were leaping goggle-eyed out of the water. There was a balloon over the hippopotamus where his head should have been, but his bottom actually was. Oh, it was saying, I seem to have forgotten my glasses. Jess began to smile. If he decided to show it to Maybelle, he would have to explain the joke, but once he did, She would laugh like a live audience on TV. He would like to show his drawings to his dad, but he didn't care. When he was in first grade, he had told his dad that he wanted to be an artist when he grew up. He thought his dad would be pleased. He wasn't. What are they teaching in that damn school? He had asked. Bunch of old ladies turning my only son into some kind of a... He had stopped on the word, but just had gotten the message. It was one you didn't forget even after four years. The devil of it was that none of his regular teachers ever liked his drawings. When they'd catch him scribbling, they'd screech about waste, wasted time, wasted paper, wasted ability. Except Miss Edmonds, the music teacher. She was the only one he dared show anything to, and she'd only been at school one year, and then only on Fridays. Miss Edmonds was one of his secrets. He was in love with her, Not the kind of silly stuff Ellie and Brenda giggled about on the telephone. This was too real and too deep to talk about, even to think about very much. Her long, swishy black hair and blue, blue eyes. He could play the guitar like a regular recording star. And she had this soft, floaty voice that made Jess squish inside. Lord, she was gorgeous. And she liked him, too. One day last winter, he had given her one of his pictures. Just shoved it into her hand after class and run. The next Friday, she had asked him to stay a minute after class. She said he was unusually talented, and she hoped he wouldn't let anything discourage him, but would keep it up. That meant Jess believed that she thought he was the best. It was not the kind of best that counted either at school or at home, but it was a genuine kind of best. He kept the knowledge of it buried inside himself like a pirate treasure. He was rich, very rich, but "'No one could know about it now "'except his fellow outlaw, Julia Edmonds. "'Sounds like some kind of hippie,' his mother had said "'when Brenda, who had been in seventh grade last year, "'described Miss Edmonds to her. "'She probably was, just wouldn't argue that, "'but he saw her as a beautiful wild creature "'who had been caught for a moment "'in that dirty old cage of a schoolhouse, "'perhaps by mistake, but he hoped, he prayed, "'she'd never get loose and fly away.' He managed to endure the whole boring week of school for that one half hour on Friday afternoons when they'd sit on the worn out rug on the floor of the teacher's room. There was no place in the building for Miss Edmonds to spread out all her stuff and sing songs like, my beautiful balloon, this land is your land, free to be you and me, blowing in the wind, and because Mr. Turner, the principal, insisted, God bless America. "'Miss Edmonds would play her guitar "'and let the kids take turns on the auto harp, "'the triangles, cymbals, tambourines, and bongo drum. "'Lord, they could, Lord, could they ever make a racket? "'All the teachers hated Fridays, "'and a lot of the kids pretended to, "'but just knew what fakes they were, "'sniffing, hippie, and peacenik. "'Even though the Vietnam War was over "'and it was supposed to be okay again to like peace, "'the kids would make fun of Miss Edmonds' lack of lipstick "'or the cut of her jeans.' She was, of course, the only female teacher anyone had ever seen in Lark Creek Elementary wearing pants. In Washington and its fancy suburbs, even in Millburg, that was okay. But Lark Creek was the backwash of fashion. It took them a long time to accept what everyone else could see by their TV was okay anywhere else. So the students of Lark Creek Elementary sat at their desks all Friday, their hearts thumping with anticipation as they listened to the joyful pandemonium pouring out from the teacher's room, spent their allotted half hours with Miss Edmonds under the spell of her wild beauty and the snare of her enthusiasms, and then went out and pretended that they couldn't be suckered by some hippie in tight jeans with makeup all over her eyes, but none on her mouth. Just just kept his mouth shut. It wouldn't help to try to defend Miss Edmonds against their unjust and hypocritical attacks. Besides, she was beyond such stupid behavior. He couldn't touch her, but whenever possible, he stole a few minutes on Friday just to stand close to her and hear her voice, soft and smooth as suede, assuring him that he was a neat kid. We're alike, Jess would tell himself, me and Miss Edmonds. Beautiful Julia. The syllables roll through his head like a ripple of guitar chords. We don't belong at Lark Creek, Julia and me. You're the proverbial diamond in the rough, she said to him once, touching his nose lightly with the tip of her electrifying finger. But it was she who was the diamond, sparkling out of that muddy, grassless, dirty brick setting. Jesse? Just shoved the pad and pencils under his mattress and lay down flat, his heart. "'thumping against the quilt. "'His mother was at the door. "'You milk yet?' "'He jumped off the bed. "'Just going to!' "'He dodged around her and out, "'grabbing the pail from beside the sink "'and the stool from beside the door "'before she could ask him what he'd been up to. "'Lights were winking out from all three floors "'of the old Perkins place. "'It was nearly dark. "'Miss Bessie's bag was tight "'and she was fidgeting with discomfort. "'She should have been milked a couple of hours ago.' he eased himself onto the stool and began to tug the warm milk pinned into the pail. Down on the road, an occasional truck passed by with his dimmers on. His dad would be home soon, and so would those cagey girls who managed somehow to have all the fun and leave him and their mother with all of the work. He wondered what they had bought with all their money. Lord, what he wouldn't give for a new pad of real art paper and a set of those marking pens, color pouring out onto the page as fast as you could think it. Not like stubby school crayons you had to press down on until somebody bitched about your breaking them. A car was turning in. It was the Timminses. The girls had beat Dad home. Just could hear their happy calls as the car door slammed. Mama would fix them supper, and when he went in with the milk, he'd find them all laughing and chattering. Mama'd even forget she was tired and mad. He was the only one who had to take that stuff. Sometimes he felt so lonely among all these females. Even the one rooster had died, and they hadn't yet gotten another. With his father gone from sun up until way past dark, who was there to know how he felt? Weekends weren't any better. His dad was so tired from the wear and tear of the week and trying to catch up around the place that when he wasn't actually working, he was sleeping in front of the TV. Hey, Jesse! Maybelle, the dumb kid wouldn't even let you think privately. What do you want now? He watched her shrink two sizes. I got something to tell you. She hung her head. You ought to be in bed, he said huffily, mad at himself for cutting her down. Ellie and Brenda come home. Came home, came home. Why wouldn't he quit picking on her? But her news was too delicious to let him stop her sharing it. Ellie bought herself a see-through blouse and Mama's throwing a fit. Good, he thought. That ain't nothing to cheer about, he said. Perippity, perippity, perippity. Daddy! Maybelle screamed with delight and started running for the road. Just watched as his dad stopped the truck. He would lean over to unlatch the door so, May- so Maybelle could climb in. He turned away. Darn lucky kid! She could run after him and grab him and kiss him. It made Jess ache inside to watch his dad grab the little ones to his shoulder or lean down and hug them. It seemed to him that he had been thought too big for that since the day he was born. When the pail was full, he gave Miss Bessie a pat to move her away. Putting the stool under his left arm, he carried the heavy pail carefully so none of the milk would slop out. Mighty late with the milking, aren't you, son? It was the only thing his father said directly to him all evening. The next morning, he almost didn't get up at the sound of the pickup. He could feel, even before he came fully awake, how tired he still was. But Maybelle was grinning at him, propped up on one elbow. Ain't you gonna run? She asked. No he said shoving the sheet away i'm gonna fly because he was more tired than usual he had to push himself harder he pretended that wayne pettis was there just ahead of him and he had to keep up his feet pounded the uneven ground and he thrashed his arms harder and harder he'd catch him watch out wayne pettis he said between his teeth i'll get you you can't beat me if you're so afraid of the cow the voice said why don't you just climb the fence he paused in midair like a stop-action TV shot and turned, almost losing his balance, to face the questioner. To face the questioner who was sitting on the fence nearest the old Perkins place, dangling bare brown legs. The person had jaggedy brown, a jaggedy brown haircut close to his face and wore one of those blue undershirt-like tops with faded cut-off jeans above the knees. He couldn't honestly tell whether it was a girl or a boy. Hi! he or she said, jerking his or her head toward the Perkins place. We just moved in. Just stood where he was, where he was staring. The person slid off the fence and came toward him. I thought we might as well be friends, it said. There's no one else close by. Girl, he decided. Definitely a girl, but he couldn't have said why he was suddenly so sure. She was about his height. Not quite, though, but he was pleased to realize as she came nearer. My name's Leslie Burke. She even had one of those dumb names that could go either way, but he was sure now that he was right. What's the matter? Huh? Is something the matter? Yeah. No. He pointed his thumb in the direction of his own house and then wiped his hair off his forehead. Jess Aarons. Too bad Maybell's girls come in the wrong size. Well, well, he nodded at her. See you he turned toward the house. No use trying to run anymore this morning. Might as well milk Miss Bessie and get that out of the way. Hey, Leslie was standing in the middle of the cow field, her head tilted and her hands on her hips. Where are you going? I got work to do. He called back over his shoulder. When he came out later with the pail and stool, she was gone.